Welcome back to Chat with the Designers, a weekly technical discussion forum for amateur radio homebrewers and experimenters, with your hosts, George N2APB and Joe N2CX. Welcome, everybody, to the April third session of Chat with the Designers. This is George, N2APB, and your co-host, uh, Joe, N2CX. As we are here almost every week on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. local Eastern, which is 00000000 Zulu. And we meet here um, for about an hour to discuss various technical topics that might be of interest in a casual, open forum that... Uh, Many homebrewers and QRPers and ham radio type guys uh, find enjoyable. We find it enjoyable and talk about a variety of topics that uh, interest us. This week's topic is Soldering 101, a guide to the science and art of melting solder. We really look across the spectrum of the different tools and techniques and capabilities that we have and use as uh, homebrewers on the bench. And one of the things that we take for granted is, and, and assume in others, is, is the soldering capabilities and the soldering techniques. In fact, it's so basic sometimes, one feels a little bit embarrassed to ask questions about, you know, the, the, how, how do you apply the solder? What size solder? What kind of solder do you use? And, and uh, how do you solder some of those small leaded parts? And how do you know if you've got a good... Uh, connection and what do you do when you don't and like there's a lot of questions in between that that really are um, assumed to be understood and if you don't understand them you kind of go by the gut you go by what you think is good and oftentimes what looks good to you may not be quite good enough for example i receive i put out and joe and i together put out an awful lot of uh, kits along the way as part of njqrp as part of amqrp what we have seen is people in the clubs that uh, have some problems with soldering they don't necessarily know it but when they send it in for either update or repairs it, it's really quite astounding to see how some of the soldering is done now some of that of course is due to the person's shaky hands or inability to see perhaps well enough um, and that's okay but oftentimes if there can be guidance and recommendations for tools and approaches to producing some good soldering results the kits that are being put together, the projects that are being assembled have a better shot at working the first time and or, or working <laughs> earlier than, than uh, going through all of the, uh, the debugging later on uh, that to find the problems that might be associated with, with soldering skills. So what Joe and I did was pull together an outline, and hopefully you can all see that on the web page that we use as, as our whiteboard. At the bottom of the of your TeamSpeak page, you will see, of course, the tech, the typical text page where uh, we can put notes and post questions and such. Be sure you click the QRP Homebrewing tab in order to see that kind of discussion. And on that page, I've already sent a or put down a uh, uh, the link for this week's web page, our whiteboard, as it were, with the session notes. So we created this outline there on the white on the whiteboard of the different topics that we're going to be discussing this week. And it runs the gamut from just some of the basic tools to the approaches. And we also put some references up there toward the bottom of the page 
that are probably going to be really quite useful, and we'll mention those as we get down through it. But we wanted to cover the bases. We wanted to uh, have an informal discussion because by no means Joe and I are, you know, we do not claim to be, nor are we, the, the world's best solderers and, uh, or solderers, as, as our Brits often uh, uh, um, point out. And um, there are some techniques, frankly, that I don't use. I'm not good at it. For just as an example, the uh, the reflow soldering with the uh, hot air ovens. I don't uh, I don't do that, but others do, and they swear by it. So during the course of discussion today, what we're hoping is that you will be able to speak up, and when we're top when we're touching base on a topic that uh, you either uh, don't understand, you know, you might have a a crazy solder type, you know, maybe fifty uh, fifty. Uh, is uh, maybe a solder type that you're using or you think that you're using, and you can ask about it. And if we can't answer your question, there is likely somebody else that will be able to do so here on the on the channel. Also, if you've got another approach for holding down an IC uh, while it's being soldered, or for touching up soldering after an IC has been initially soldered to the uh, to the board, or anything like that, please speak up. Just uh, you know, double-click your uh, your PTT a couple of times to catch our attention, and um, you know we'll we'll um, we'll uh, uh, pass the mic over to you, as it were, and give you a shot at uh, talking about that a little bit. So we really hope that you'll be able to uh, pipe in and uh, tell us about some uh, some of your experiences. And just to mention something that Joe and I talked about just before the session started here. Um, as soon as Bill Kelsey, uh, K8, um, I forgot, uh, joins us, he's going to be telling us about uh, his uh, the, the revival of the KA7 EXM power meter. You might recall last time that we met, we were talking about that particular uh, power measurement device and uh, how it wasn't available any longer. But it, Joe and I still find it to be the best in this category for lab um, bench uh, uh, measurements that that um, we have around for our availability. So when Bill joins us, we'll be able to, to toss it to him for a little bit to carry over from the previous session. Okay, Joe, do you want to uh, maybe fill in some of the holes on, on overviewing and then maybe start diving in? And Joe and I are going to ping pong back and forth about some of these topics, maybe every other one or maybe dual on each one, I don't know. But Joe, take it away. Well, first, uh, Bill in ADT is here. Why don't we turn it over to him, George? Ah, great. Bill, I'm sorry. I was looking. It's hard to do this while you're talking and trying to sound cogent. I was looking under B's for Bill alphabetically here on a screen. Bill, N8ET, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, KA7EXM meter that we talked a lot about uh, last time? Yeah, I don't have the KA7EXM meter right now, but I do have the uh, the original uh, W7ZOI analog meter uh, kit, and I've got it with the aluminum boxes, the die-cast boxes, uh, and it includes the tap. So there'll be all the parts, including the meter. Uh, all you have to do is drill the holes and uh, then ugly construct the uh, electronics on the board. Um, it does have a feed-through so that you can come out and, and go to a, a DVM or whatever to uh, have a digital readout if you want. And uh, after listening to last week's, uh, or two weeks ago now, uh, 
session why uh, maybe I should talk to Roger. I know he's got uh, some more boards left, um, and I should bring back the uh, kit. The other thing I did want to say about his uh, his digital kit, I believe there uh, are menu options, George, where you don't have to uh, display the output as DBM. You can tell it you want it in milliwatts or microwatts or kilowatts or whatever, and it will do all that conversion for you. Um, so you don't have to have the spreadsheet beside the bench and uh, and come up with the numbers. But in any event, uh, the one the meter is there. I will have it at Dayton. Uh, we'll have it at Four Days in May and on the uh, the Hamfest floor. And I've got it available mail order now. So uh, that's uh, that's what I wanted to get uh, in and be be sure everybody was aware of. Go ahead. All right, my mistake. I thought um, I was just kind of reading into your. I guess now that I do recall, you had mentioned it was the. Uh, the W7ZOI meter. And for everybody listening here, um, if you go back to the previous session on power measurement from two weeks ago, you'll actually see that very um, project in the copy of QST article that we had posted um, on, on the page, so or at least in snippets. And that is exactly what Bill was talking about. Yeah, and if you could talk to Roger, I'll bet you that there would be some people right here in this group and, and a bunch of others that would be willing to uh, get into uh, to get the, the the digital kit as you call it, and I think um, for uh, the money that it was, and I don't know what it was, but having a minus eighty to plus seven dBm meter with uh, the accuracy and precision that it offers, and the ability to automatically account for a forty dB tap that you would add externally, is just an outstanding deal. Now, it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, Joe, I'm going to toss it over to you for a second to explain, perhaps, just just take a moment to explain the difference in usage between the KA7EXM meter, the lab-grade meter that we, are, that we have and use, versus, for example, another very good power meter, which is the AQRP uh, microwatt meter. Um, they're different devices and different uses, and uh, they're equally good in their category. Can you comment on that, Joe? Certainly. Yeah, the um, the AQRP meter is uh, not quite as wide a dynamic range. It does have uh, does have equally good precision. Bill, uh, you want to make a comment? No, actually, I just uh, starting to say I've also got some of the uh, M cubed uh, taps available. I bought their uh, remaining stock. But uh, now the uh, I'll let you talk about the dynamic range and uh, and all that. But uh, and the other the other comment I would have is is I tend to uh, to use the analog meter more than I do the digital because I can see the uh, the relative changes a lot easier than uh, with the digital meter, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, the the um, there are different uses on the bench for uh, for all of them. The um, getting back to the AQRP meter. It is uh, it is a it's intended as uh, both a ham shack device and something that uh, you can use for for some lab grade stuff. It covers a range of I think it's a milliwatt to um, um, at least um, 20 or 30 watts uh, with a digital readout. It has the advantage that it has a built-in uh, reflectometer so that you can read forward and reverse power. Um, and it, uh, it thus it lets you read uh, VSWR as well as uh, power. You can measure antennas with it and uh, and whatever else you want, might want to measure the SWR with. Um, does not have as wide a dynamic range, 
but for many uses in the in the average ham shack it's just fine two of them would be excellent for measuring something like um, amplifiers if you had a um, like the, the penny whistle amp that uh, uh, tapper uh, cells uh, it would let you measure the input which is in the range of of half a watt to a watt uh, and a second device or switching the device to the output, you can also read the output level. Uh, it'll be one instrument, uh, um, or one type of instrument to do both. And um, having the reflectometer in there, you would not need a tap in addition. Uh, all you'd need would be a dummy lug. So it's very good that way. The um, KA70XM meter has a much wider dynamic range. And because of that, and the fact that it is so sensitive, when you're looking at power levels above uh, a couple milliwatts, you have to put attenuation of some sort. And practically speaking, that's generally a, uh, a resistive tap in there. Very good. The uh, W7ZOI meter, as Bill pointed out, is an analog meter. Um, and on the face of it, you know, it's uh, it's got a regular voltmeter and uh, very good for peaking and dipping, that sort of thing. Uh, you can't read it real closely. However, you could put a digital meter on there and read the output voltage and have a calibration chart so that if you wanted to make precision measurements with it, it would be good. So it just takes a little little more work, but um, also a good instrument. And uh, uh, as the stuff that come from the Haywards, it's always good stuff. All righty. Um, Bill, if you could... Um... Maybe type in your email, your not your email, your uh, website address into the group here, uh, into the chat session below. Then we can at least have your uh, your uh, location, and we'll keep an eye out for when when things become available or catch you at Dayton. Thanks an awful lot for that information. I probably am going to immediately reserve with you uh, one of the analog meters. Um, the W7ZOY, it'll be easy, it'll be good to have the set of the parts and doing it homebrew is always a, a thing of mine, is a favorite of mine. Okay, let's get into tonight's session for soldering. And uh, we think it's going to be an enjoyable one. Starting with solder stations, I think it, you know, it's a very good place to be start, uh, to, uh, to begin. And uh, again, many of us have these things. Starting at the, with the, the, the five, what I, trying to make a funny call the, the $5 Radio Shack pencil iron. I think most of us have grabbed that from time to time in a pinch or even used it in the startup, uh, uh, starting up things on our bench. Um, in a word, don't use it. It's a waste of money um, on, in all but the most basic of, of uh, cases. Very quickly, the tip oxidizes and uh, erodes away, and you will just not be happy with it. So just don't go with it. You might want to have one just thrown into the junk box in the back of the car. Um, but there, even for that, there's some uh, better benefits. I've had a um, either a, um, the $35 web uh, or the Weller solder station, and I think it was this, actually the $75 temperature-controlled Weller, um, Weller uh, solder station before. And it's just really, when you have a temperature-controlled device, it's... Uh, it it's maintains the temperature a lot better, especially, of course, when you're applying heat. Um, it is able to maintain the temperature of the soldering joint um, when you have a lot of heat sinking, when you have a large wire, for example, or a large 
ground plane that's sucking the heat away, you'll have a better chance at making a good solder connection or getting it up to temperature if you've got a uh, temperature control station uh, in use. And you can get these things locally at an awful lot of places. Um, here in Baltimore, just uh, it's it's a local spot, um, Bainesville Electronics. Everybody's got perhaps something like that in your area, Allied Electronics or whatever, you might be able to get some electronic parts. You should be able to find that. And of course, they are available in Mauser and DigiKey. And uh, eBay would be a great place to start looking for them. Joe, do you want to talk about the what would I consider the ultimate uh, that I've ever used, and I'm loving the heck out of it, the Xtronic 4000? Shucks, you're probably better suited to talking about it than I, but yeah, it is a very good instrument. There are there are instruments that are used for uh, printed circuit and um, uh, particularly surface mount soldering that uh, have a precision uh, temperature controlled iron as well as hot air. Um, and when you're doing, when you're doing rework when you're doing uh, careful work in uh, tight spots with uh, particularly with surface mount components, having a hot air device. And when I say hot, it's hot enough to melt solder. It's a precision thing where you can drill down and, and point to just the area you want to take a component out, which is an excellent thing to have. Um, the Xtronic 4000 is sold on eBay. Uh, I think generally the price is about $125. I was fortunate enough to get one for, uh, when they had it on sale for about $100. But uh, there are others that are, um, Heiko makes a bunch and uh, the other names escape me, but uh, you can go well under the thousands of dollars um, to to buy devices like this. But um, the, the Xtronic uh, 4000 is a really good one for, that sort of work. And you'll find when you do surface mount work, um, you, you're inevitably going to, uh, if you do a printed circuit board, you're inevitably going to put a component in wrong or you're going to get um, um, uh, the wrong component in the wrong place and you're going to have to remove it. And it's a real bear with, um, without some, some device like this, something intended for uh, rework. It's also very good for um, uh, assembly in the first place too, um, the iron part of it, and at times um, when you want to uh, reflow over um, an area, for example, uh, many pins of a fine pitch IC, that's very good for it as well. Um, I can't can't recommend it high, highly enough. And the, the, another good thing about it is that uh, when uh, they ship it to you, they even give you an extra set of heating elements because as you'll find after you've used it for a year or so, the heating elements will burn out. But uh, to date, they've been giving, uh, giving a free, uh, free set of both the hot air and the uh, soldering iron tip uh, heating elements to uh, save the bacon. Or to maybe burn the bacon. <laughs> the, uh, as Joe said, it is, it is a premier thing, and it's, in, it's, it's within reach of of many home brewing benches. As I look around, uh, first of all, as I'm continuing to chat about this, if you slide down on the web page, we have a picture of the Xtronic 4000. And um, what you see there is pretty much what you see tucked onto my very neat and orderly uh, workbench. The other photo there on the web page. So um, you, you see it's it's quite an action 
it, it's quite in action on on my bench at least is my main my main thing. I you know, I was thinking I was just considering and looking around the, my lab here um, some things that I really depend on a lot um, for doing the amount of home brewing that I do and the kit building and 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 all sorts of other stuff that I do in in ham radio world things is I need a good solder station and uh, this thing really fills the void. I had that $75 temperature controlled Weller TCP something or other and it worked out really well but this one's just a cut above and it's at the, in the same ballpark. I need a good power supply, a good current limited power supply. I've got that here. I have a good basic analog scope and I have other derivatives of scopes and digital scopes and different bandwidth but a good it's a Tektronix 465M. It's an oldie but goodie. Uh, from a dear departed uh, uh, friend a long time ago, Clark Fishman, W2AUN. I, I forgot now his call sign. Um, but he sold that to me a long time ago. As I look around here on the bench, I also see a really basic, and you'll see it too on my bench, a real basic um, lighted lamp, magnifying lamp. We'll talk about that in a minute. As well as um, a good basic meter, a good DVM that uh, a very good friend of mine got me as well for my bench. And um, I think those are the basic things that I'm able to do, and, and it doesn't set you back by much. So if you really want to do some good soldering on a regular basis, and especially for solder, um, for surface mount, um, something like this with a very fine point tip, temperature controlled, um, uh, solder station is, is kind of a must. Okay, um, we we broached a little bit on the solder tips. Uh, Joe, do you want to talk about the solder tips? You added some uh, dimensions there to the original outline. Maybe you want to expand on them a little. Certainly, yeah. The uh, as is laid out on the um, the outline on the web page. If you're looking, um, solder tips are important to doing a a good soldering job. For most of the um, things you'll do around the shack. Um, from soldering uh, connectors, um, that is uh, not RF connectors, but uh, um, cable connectors, uh, mic connectors, uh, ribbon cable connectors, um, leaded resistors in chassis uh, in doing um, ugly style home brewing, a, uh, a chisel tip that's uh, 062 inches. Um, sixteenth of an inch is is a good choice um, when you're using a temperature controlled iron the Weller has a number of them and you can you can buy them from um, from the usual online sources or uh, some vendors usually show up at the better hamfest with a good selection of tips um, silver plated uh, tips last forever um, if you get good tips and you keep them tinned and you keep them clean they'll last a good long time as George mentioned, the cheaper irons, the Radio Shack uh, grade irons, have a copper tip, and uh, they wear very quickly. They erode; they don't last. But um, I get at least a year or two out of each of the uh, the good uh, silver silver plated tips that I have. If you're going to something finer than uh, chassis wiring and the rest of that, um, an O32 tip. Um, either chip, chisel or uh, conical tip 
is probably um, about the way you want to go. It does fine for printed circuit board work, uh, and it's even uh, quite good for uh, most surface mount work. Um, as you'll see a little bit later, the size of the components, um, this is comparable to the, uh, the width of the, uh, the surface mount chips you'll be working with, and a little bit bigger than the, um, the pitch of the, uh, the leads on, on multi-pin ICs, but it's a good compromise. It's uh, small enough to do a good job and big enough that has uh, some mass of, of heat to heat up the joints you're, you're using. For some super fine work, if you have hands that are much steadier than mine and you want to individually solder the pins on a fine pitch device, an 015 tip does well. Um, in another lifetime, I worked for Pulsar Watch Company and uh, we, we developed a, um, several watches. One was a uh, wristwatch that uh, took your pulse. Another was a radio paging watch. And um, the, the actual watch chips were a little over an inch in diameter. That is not the chips, but the substrates. It was like a small printed circuit board. And we had a whole bunch of uh, very small surface mount uh, chips in there. And uh, we used an Oryx iron, O-R-Y-X which had a 15,000 uh, tip in there. Um, and you had to work under a microscope. It's probably excessive for, for most of which you'll use uh, in the ham shack. But if you're doing extremely small work, you'd go to a tip like that. And very importantly is the temperature you work at. Um, a lot of the Weller irons, the WTCP irons that uh, George mentioned, have tips where there's a, um, a sensor, a, a, a thermomagnetic sensor in the tip that uh, determines the operating temperature of the tip right at, uh, right at the point, the, uh, the end. Uh, and it's stamped on the end of the tip. Generally for uh, most printed circuit board you want work, you want um, something in the range of 750 to 800 degrees F, which may sound excessive, but it's not. Um, you'll damage far more components using a, um, a soldering iron and tip that are too cool than a hot one. With a hot one, you can get in, heat the joint, melt the solder and do a good uh, joint and get back, back out of there, take the iron away, and the thing will cool down very quickly. If you're operating with a 500-degree iron, you have to hold it on the joint for a long time, relatively speaking, many seconds just to melt the solder and to get a good tip. And uh, that means uh, in the long run, you, uh, you leave the uh, components at a higher temperature and uh, you stand more chance of damaging components and uh, damaging the, uh, um, the actual copper traces. You'll lift traces with, uh, with a tip that's too cold. George, let me throw it back to you and um, um, talk about uh, solder types. All right, Joe, thanks. And, um... Just to kind of quickly follow off your last point, 800 degrees is what at about in, in degrees C? Um, because as we saw on the photograph from the Xtronic, it displays in degrees C. Uh, it's in a range of 450 to 480 C, I think. Okay. And uh, you can see from the photograph, if you look carefully enough uh, from my bench, mine was turned on when I took the photo and I keep mine around 380 degrees C. So that's probably the lower, lower end of that 750 to 800 degree F range. 
nonetheless, that's uh, that's that's pretty hot, and I found it the hotter the better. But of course, you just want to have that within reason. Um, something else that we didn't list that I want to mention right now because we were talking about eroding tips or oxidizing tips, and uh, we want to be. Um, you want to keep your tip clean and oftentimes you know to wipe it on a rag or some people say make it a wet rag some people have a wet sponge or something in the little solder stand i came across something else and <laughs> serendipitously it was dennis ad2da who brought it to our attention at the new jersey qrp club meeting sometime last year um i think joe it was a bronze uh, bronze ball of a ball of bronze stranded uh, metal and it, it really acts as a, a very good abrasive um, for taking the crud off of the end of a tip without cooling it down is that right yeah it's actually brass wool in a little holder that uh, yeah it does a very good job and uh, as you point out it takes the crud off and you you're in and out so quickly it doesn't uh, it doesn't kill the temperature of the tip yeah, indeed. And you can see that photo right in the middle of my workbench. Uh, you have to squint a little bit or maybe expand the photo a bit, but it's uh, it's there and it, it's really good. You can order them from Mauser and DigiKey. And it's not that expensive, but it is that, besides the Xtronic, that is the most, that that has increased my the quality of my soldering like more than anything else. Um, a combination of thin solder, and that uh, brass wool cleaner for the tip and a good soldering station makes soldering such a nice breeze. And I thought that I'd mention too that sometimes I have, an, I have a need to really get a lot of heat onto a joint. For example, if it's a, uh, a connector that has a lot of mass or if I have a connector that's going into a part of the circuit board that has a lot of ground plane, which is a heat sink and it pulls a lot of heat from your soldering iron. So what I've done in the past is I do have that 35, um, actually, um, it, I meant to put 35 watt Weller. Um, sometimes you've seen those guns, you know, little click guns with, with a, a V type of um, point on it. And it's a, well, it's a Weller, mine is 140 watts. Oh gosh, I don't know. Anyways, it's a big gun. It's a big honker. So I apply the the heavy-duty iron along with my uh, extronic pencil soldering iron in order to get the adequate amount of heat. Of course, I need three hands to hold everything, but um, nonetheless, I'm able to get this. If you're able to get enough heat into a joint and you have the flow, the solder flow, you'll be all set there. So, taking a, just a brief break, are there any questions about some of the material we've covered so far? Pete, I see your your light going on, on and off. Either you don't have any audio, or it's Vox that's indiscriminately going. Do you have a question? Yes, I do. I actually, I have a couple of comments here, but uh, I just wanted to get your attention, so it was flashing. Uh, is the audio okay? Yeah, it sounds really good. Go ahead. Okay, good. I have, like I said, I have a couple of uh, points here. First of all, uh, don't know about the Radio Shack $5 iron, but uh, four years ago when I started with uh, SMD soldering, I bought a $3 iron from Big Lots, and it worked great uh, because it had a copper tip that could be 
ground down without uh, any adverse results to a very, very sharp point, and that coupled with the Variac allowed me to control the temperature. At this point, I didn't know if I was able to do SMD at all, and uh, I built a few SMD parts with it, and uh, it, it, it worked just fine, no problem at all. Um, since then, over the over the years, I have uh, converted it into a mini solder pot, and maybe you want to talk about that a little uh, later. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people know how you how you do that with a, a brass uh, screw drilling a hole in it, that kind of thing. Now, uh, the uh, use of the uh, brass wool, or as has been described on the internet, the scrubby, looked really good, and I tried doing one of those a uh, year or two back. And it did a nice job of cleaning the iron and everything else. And then I realized, and this was with a Weller WTCP iron, that it was taking the plating off the iron, and I wound up having to get a new tip very, very quickly, comparatively speaking. Now, I've been using the WTCP since 1983, and one of the other things you have to concern yourself about with that design, being magnetic, it will tend to pick up small magnetic objects, and some small SMD components are magnetic. This is rather frustrating uh, when you get to it. Now, um, the uh, Xtronic is probably very nice. It looks, it, looks, it looks really nice. I looked it up as you guys were talking. Um, a few weeks ago, Radio Shack had the high-end uh, Radio Shack one on sale, and I was doing a lot of soldering at a project that I really wanted to get done, didn't want to wait a few days for the for a shipping, for, so, so I bought that one. It's made by a company called, well, it's made in China by somebody, but it is identical to one sold by an Ontario, California company called Medell, M-A-D-E-L-L. Webpage is medelltech.com, and they sell it for about the same price Radio Shack was selling it for. And I have no no problems with it whatsoever. It does not do hot air, of course, at the price of around $70. But uh, it, it does a fine job for uh, what I was doing. Supposedly, it takes Hako tips as well as Medell tips. Medell will sell you tips retail uh, at, at what seems like a reasonable price. And uh, it seems like a reasonable solution. The only thing is with the, the digital display is that it will read the display that it is reading the temperature of the heating element and the tip takes some degree of time. There's a, there's a degree of hysteresis when you set it. It tells you that the temperature it has been achieved, but it doesn't know the temperature at the far end of the tip. And that just has to be kept in mind. I don't know why they didn't figure out a way of solving that, but they didn't, but no big deal. It works uh, it works fine anyway. So those are my uh, comments on what you've said so far. Well, that's really good information. Thanks an awful lot for uh, uh, speaking up, Pete. Um, uh, yeah, Pete, right? Is that who was speaking? I didn't have the screen going. Yeah, Pete, right. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks a lot for that. And it's funny, you mentioned about the magnetic. That did happen to me before. I did notice that with my WTCPs that I've used, and it, I never really put two and two together, but when Joe mentioned about the magnetic heat sense magnetic couple heat sensing and, and your comment about the magnetized tip it it all makes sense so um good it's it's good stuff i'm not i've not heard about the brass wool wearing down the tips um i haven't experienced it myself so who knows um other comments at this point yeah break this is dennis okay dennis go ahead uh, comment about the uh, that brass wool that you use for cleaning the soldering iron tips. 
if you get a inferior brand that's not really brass, you will get something like a steel wool that's been um, anodized and colored to look like it. And that steel wool is probably stainless, and it's actually harder than your soldering iron tip. If you get the soft brass one uh, that you have, which I was supplying to a couple of guys in the group last year, those brass ones are a lot softer than any of the temperature control tips and should not wear your tip at any significant rate. I just thought I'd throw that in. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. That is of importance, and I do remember that being a, uh, the soft brass being an issue uh, or a positive thing with that. Okay, um, let's move ahead. Uh, Joe, um, I'm going to toss it right back at you for just a moment. And uh, because I think you have a better handle on, on the types of solder and uh, rosin core, acid core, water soluble, 60-40, 40 hike. Uh, take it away. Yeah, um, there was someone else blipped, uh, blipped their mic. Is there anyone else with a comment in there? Go ahead, Ted. Whoops, it looks like I have to hold the push to talk down here as well. Uh, question about the extronic iron. Um, I've got one of those stations, and I've had some issue with the iron after it hasn't been used for a while. I wonder if you guys have had any issues like that, or whether you just use it so constantly that uh, you, you wouldn't notice this. Um, I probably use mine a little bit more than Joe. Uh, like, I use mine absolutely every day for several hours. Um, and there's at least two to three reworked modems that go out the door every day because of the work that I do in the evenings on it. So, Joe, do you experience that if uh, uh, it hasn't been used in a bit? No, I've not experienced that. Mine is only intermittently in use, but it seems to uh, seems to have been pretty reliable. Okay, well, I appreciate that because I I use the hot air feature on it much more than I do the iron. I've got another iron or velamen around here, and I went to use the iron recently, and I couldn't get any control out of it whatsoever. So there's probably, I don't know, a bad connection somewhere, either that or the, um, the sensing circuit has gone awry. So I'll have to look into that. Just curious. Alrighty, uh, Joe, soldering or solder types. Okay, yes. Um, there, there are a whole bunch of different solder types. And uh, those of us who started way back in the tube days may have had some solder around the house that we tried to use that um, seemed to work right off. But after a while, um, we had intermittent uh, connections and uh, all of our joints turned green. Well, that was because uh, the solder that was laying around the house was the kind used for um, soldering uh, copper water pipes. Uh, and it's number two on our list, but it, it had acid core solder in there. Acid core solder is an absolute no-no in electronics. Uh, it, it's almost impossible to get all of the, uh, the acid core flux uh, off a joint, no matter how um, <laughs> a scatological joke came to mind, but I won't go there, something about shaking and dancing. But no matter how hard you try, you can't get all the uh, all the uh, acid flux off a joint and eventually it will corrode. And uh, sometimes to the point where it'll make a, uh, it'll eat the copper away. The general type of solder that's used in um, 
as a core in most uh, electronic solders is a rosin, um, which uh, is dissolvable in acetone or alcohol. But it does a good job because when the solder melts, the, uh, the rosin, the core, uh, coats the surface of the metal, keeping air out until um, until the uh, until the the uh, solder and the uh, uh, metal come together and form a joint. So it's it's the property of keeping air away from the joint that uh, rosin does a good job for. Normally, you don't have to add any extra flux. The only um, instance being sometimes if you have uh, corroded stuff. Generally not surface mount because uh, if you got if you have corroded uh, boards or components with surface mount you're in a in a world of trouble. But the rosin core solder is very good. Um, one of the better ones is from uh, Europe. It's Urson Multicore, where instead of having just one core, there's actually um, a multiplicity of small cores of of uh, uh, rosin within the uh, solder. Not real common here in the States, but it works very well. Um, recently, there have been a, um, with uh, manufacturing, there's been water-soluble flux available. It's used in manufacturing operations where they have uh, proper uh, facilities to clean the boards, to clean the solder off. Um, for amateur use, it's not really all that good. It's really tough to get it all off and to, to not leave some, uh, some gray um, uh, trace of it behind. So um, for, for home use, water-soluble flux isn't really all that good. The solder itself, uh, what's generally recommended is either a 60-40 of lead and tin or an alloy uh, called the eutectic alloy, which is 6337, which has the lowest melting point for that particular uh, alloy metal. Um, and I'll get to that a that point a little bit in, uh, in, uh, in a minute or two. The most common sizes, at least for printed circuit board use, are 015 diameter solder, which looks like hair, which is probably the best for doing surface mount work because it's small enough that uh, you can slowly feed it in to do a joint and you don't end up with a big glob of solder more than you want on the joint. Um, another type that's fairly common is 031. That's more suited to larger leaded components and uh, soldering in chassis and the rest of that. The 015 diameter is, is the better stuff. Um, and you can get stuff up to 128, and I just made the parenthetical comment there that 128 solder um, is really not useful for much in electronics. It's best for auto radiators and uh, if you're doing lawn art. Final point on solder types is the uh, the no lead solder, the ROHS stuff. Um, we even sold a bill of goods there. We caved into the Europeans who didn't want to have any of that dangerous lead stuff in the products. Um, so the lead-free solder has come to be, and it's become a, uh, a growing problem because as, uh, as metallurgists learn and electronics types learned back in the 50s, um, you need a little bit of lead in solder. If you don't have it, the tin is going to form tin whiskers. And when I say whiskers, these are whiskers a couple mils in diameter that, uh, that grow 
uh, and they short circuit things. Um, there are any number of uh, home electronics, consumer electronics products that are being junked now because they have tin whiskers in there and there's just no way to clean them out. Um, the high-rel military and medical electronics uh, industries do not use the ROHS, the no lead solder, simply because they need the reliability um, that you get from not having tin whiskers formed. Um, that's a growing problem and it's going to get worse. I guess uh, manufacturers don't mind much because that just means every couple of years you'll have to buy a new gadget. Uh, back to you, George. Well, thanks, Joe. I'm madly typing while, uh, while you were doing, just taking some notes there along the way. And uh, um, and so it's, it's a good coverage. I don't use, of course, most of us do not use ROHS or lead-free or PB-free uh, solder here on the bench. It, although if ultimately you're shipping overseas, um, that's going to be a requirement. And you'll find that many, um, it, sometimes actually you'll find some circuit boards, if you're repairing a radio, for example, a commercial radio, it might have been made with um, or assembled with lead-free solder and ultimately you would have to retouch it with lead-free solder if if you were going to put it back into service in a, in a controlled manner commercially that way if you're re just retouching it you'll notice that it does it's harder to uh, solder to it uh, i think you said joe the solder point the melting point is higher with it yeah i did not say it yes it is higher which uh, causes even more difficulties yeah, and you'll notice that too when you're trying to solder to it and ultimately um, it doesn't uh, um, reflow quite as easily and you've got to be dealing with that. Other tools on the bench that are kind of obvious, but uh, again, if you wanted to take a quick peek at that, uh, my very neat and orderly and organized uh, workbench, you would see each of these, well, most of these items. Uh, good nose, uh, needle nose pliers, uh, flush cut clippers in order to clip off those uh, leads that have uh, poked through the other side of the circuit board. Um, some fine tip tweezers are really, really handy to have when you're dealing with SMT, surface mount components. We're going to talk about SMT soldering in a little bit. And also, just as a, as a reminder, at the bottom of the page, we've got some good uh, references that, um, for soldering and um, some photos and at the very bottom the reference uh, links show some uh, good information on the internet so if you happen to fall asleep while we're talking here and or have to go someplace you can check back and look at those references they're pretty good and the two pages that uh, of material that I put in there are my um, some of my own contributions to the ARRL handbook over the last maybe five years there's two pages overviewing uh, surface mount assembly and um, we'll get to it in a moment and everybody's got their own technique and I just kind of go through and explain mine. But during the process of assembling components onto the circuit board you'll need these other tools that we mentioned. Uh, uh, toothpick is great for holding down a surface mount component while you're trying to solder it. I just have uh, I have long fingernails on my right hand because I'm, I'm a aspiring guitarist and I uh, use it quite effectively to hold on components while I'm soldering. Um, there are some other hold-down devices. You you see a picture of something that's that we call, I don't know if this is the official name, Joe, but um, 
and I don't even have it dialed up here. So what is the name of, uh, of that device, that hold-on device, Joe? It's called a doofus. And the one that's pictured, actually, the guy who came up with it, it called it a doofus. And there you go. So there's a device. In fact, even um, I think uh, Dave Attenberg, who's online here today, and uh, our very dear friend, uh, the departed SK, um, Tony Gum, um, either one of the two guys or together, they made a, a form of a doofus that was really quite... Uh, um, it worked really well, and we've showed it at, at many NJQRP meetings in the past. And it's a good technique for holding a parts on once you do get them well aligned, and then you can actually apply the solder. And anti-static mat is, is, is pretty important, especially during the dry season, and, and hopefully you don't have any rugs in your workroom. That would be a generator of static electricity. Um, a static mat, anti-static mat would be really handy to have during that. And the last... Uh, last item there is something that everybody should have around and I actually ship with all the kits that I that I produce uh, a solder wick um, a short six inch length of solder wick or solder braid um, is uh, a really handy thing to put against a solder joint that has too much solder and with some flux and heat you're able to wick off excess solder really nicely and I explained that in the in the um, in the handbook pages down below on the page. Um, health considerations are really kind of um, an interesting comment. Uh, we often joke about uh, melting solder and the smell of solder gets you feeling good and all of that. Chances are good that there's some good lead coming up in those solder woofs and uh, prolonged use of it has got to be not good for your eyes, your nose, your, bra your breathing in general. Best recommended practice and this is outlined in the ARRL handbook too, is to have a small fan off to the side that gently blows um, across your work surface and takes the fumes off away from your face, which is usually kind of close to the work. Ideally, um, you would. Uh, some people have gone to the extreme, and I applaud them for it, of having a small um, vent, that a tube that pulls the air away from the from the solder work surface and actually vents it to the outside. That's kind of an extreme, um, but it's also probably a, a really good thing. Some people have uh, noted that over the years, their capabilities have diminished because of smelling melting solder too, too close and too long. But, uh, and obviously because of the lead, uh, having food and drink and such on the workbench is not at all a good idea. And definitely, it's always a good idea to wash your hands afterwards for that same reason, for the normal germs that might be associated with the circuit boards and the kind of moldy stuff that we hams deal with. The lead and flux and all of that is probably not the best thing to be ingesting with your Oreo cookies later on in the evening. Yeah, Rick, go ahead. Yeah, thinking about safety precautions, I ran across one the other day when I was reading a, an article on soldering. Uh, you shouldn't go ahead and put solder in your mouth. And very often when you suddenly need a third hand while you're working on a circuit board, you tend to just take that little chunk of, uh, of solder and hold it in your mouth momentarily as you realign something. Uh, but that's another one. That explains it. Now we know why George is the way he is. All righty. Um, we're going to, in the essence of time, we're going to kind of skip down a little bit. Uh, and what I'd like to do is talk specifically about surface mount components. Um, 
most of us have been pretty apprehensive about when surface mount technology first came about, and some of us still are a bit hesitant to get in and, and put together a surface mount uh, board. After a while, I, I know you've heard it and everybody has their own stories. My particular version is that after a while you actually get to prefer, I get to prefer assembling with uh, surface mount components. Even um, even homebrewing Manhattan style with surface mount components is really kind of an easier thing and quicker thing to do um, for me. Um, and uh, you've got different sizes, of course, and some of them are going and coming and, you know, going out of vogue or availability, like the 1206 perhaps, 12 millimeters by 6 millimeters, I think, is the uh, is the dimensioning dimension for it, and it is uh, it's the easier and the larger resistors or larger resistors size and capacitor sizes to deal with. And then another one that's becoming quite more popular is the 080, 0805. and then um, not too many people go to the smaller size of 0604 unless you're really one, you know, the designer really has a need to get a small circuit board together, a lot of components into the small circuit board area. If um, many, many of you guys have, have tried the uh, assembling and been quite successful at assembling the DDS60 card, and this is the, uh, the, the circuit board that I featured, oh, this is now five or six years ago, in the first installment for the handbook section on assembling circuit board, on assembling surface mount technology, I used... Um, the DDS60, actually it was then, it was the DDS30 card. And if you wanted to dial down to that page, you would see that picture of that little card with the 8-pin connector. And um, it's probably really a good representative circuit for the different kinds of technologies that can come together on a circuit board and give us homebrewers the biggest challenge in putting these things together. The uh, the parts, um, I think I used 0, <clears throat> 1206 parts on, on almost all of them. Uh, on almost all of the the designators there. There were a couple of leaded parts where I needed to have more current capability, so I provided leaded uh, parts for L3, R4, and I think that was it. And then, of course, the big uh, the biggie there was how do you attach that? that it's not even an SOIC. It's an SSIOIC. I forgot the package style, but it's the AD9850 which is, of course, very similar, almost identical. It is an identical package to the a the current AD9851 that I use on the DDS60 card. That U1 chip is a, is a pretty tough thing to solder. And so I go through the process of describing how to do that, again, by tacking down, you know, carefully aligning, and I used to use my fingers for holding it in place, aligning the chip over the bare pads with... Um, um, with a good magnifier, I'm able to see that the leads are right properly aligned over the proper pads. I tack solder one corner to keep it in place. Then I go and I tack solder the opposite corner, again, keeping uh, the alignment in absolute uh, um, alignment. And then just making sure that all the pins are still there. And then I kind of flood solder. When I say flood solder, I take that, uh, uh, not the 015, but the next size up, Joe, I guess it would be 032. To um, solder, and I flood solder the whole such that all of one side is one long solder bead, and the other side is the same, all one solder bead. It's not quite as gross as that, but I do have all of the leads are soldered together. And then I take the, my solder wick, 
on my desolder braid and then I wick off all of the excess solder and son of a gun if it doesn't come up looking uh, absolutely perfect after I clean off the flux with some isopropyl alcohol it comes up looking just absolutely ideal and it, it works well because it ultimately assures that you're using a minimum amount of solder to be connecting those pads those small leads to the to the very small pads so that's my technique others have used uh, um, solder reflow and uh, uh, Cash Olson, KD5SJJ, I think is his call sign. We have his website listed down at the bottom. And he sells some um, solder paste. And the technique is that you would put on a bare board, you would put that uh, a small bead of the solder paste along the, each row of those pads. Again, using U1 here as an example. And then drop U1, uh, the IC, onto those pads and, and sort of make it aligned as best you can but then with a heating plate and an air reflow um, um, hot air gun um, you would be able to heat that <clears throat> such that it melts the solder and actually pulls the IC into position exactly on those those pads. Others use a, a technique called um, well it's a, um, a hot air oven much as you might use to you know heat your uh, your uh, bagels in the morning or something. Uh, of course, dedicated only for electronics use because once there's lead in there, you probably don't want that on the on your uh, your bagels later on in the uh, on on the weekend. But using a hot air gun or using a hot air oven and some solder reflow paste, like I've described from Cash Olson, some guys have found it to be really satisfying and quite a good technique for applying uh, components, surface mount components, to a circuit board, especially when there are a lot of components or a lot of ICs taking a lot of care up front to put the beads down and lay the ICs down and then reflowing the whole side of all components on one side at the same time is a, a lot of uh, a lot of benefit um, comments on the uh, the soldering of ICs I would imagine that that a lot of people have different ways of approaching things has anybody used the hot air reflow techniques yeah, Pete, I think you did say that, and you you were pretty successful with that, do you think? Yeah, uh, normally what I've been doing of late, and I built a, um, oh, uh, uh, FCC1, FCC2 was my, was my latest project after having it sit around here since 2006. <laughs> uh, I forgot why, why I ordered it. But anyway, um, I went back to normally soldering it as, as I would solder anything else. The, um, I, I did an ATS-3B. Uh, using the uh, skillet and the, the hot air gun and that kind of thing, and it worked perfectly. I got the solder paste and all that; it worked perfectly. But I did—I didn't seem—it didn't seem to be saving any time or anything else. And what I had to be careful of is, if you put a component down on the board, you can very easily knock another component off its alignment because, of course, it's not soldered down; it just stuck on with the paste. And uh, the the uh, need for ex, uh, extra coordination and keeping my hand away from all the other things uh, every time I put a part down uh, outweighed the convenience, whatever it is, of, of doing that. So all you have was the thrill of watching all the components suddenly uh, turn uh, line up uh, perfectly in the solder turning silver. But other than that, uh, there didn't seem to be any advantage. Yeah, I've heard of that too and experienced a bit of it too. And I run into the same kind of thing when I use... Uh... A hot air gun or um, like a, 
oh shucks, what's the name of it? Uh, on the Boston gun. Yeah, an embossing gun. I use an gun embossing gun myself. Yeah, an embossing gun I found doesn't quite get hot enough. So when I got my Xtronic, the hot air attachment for that really did a good job because I could adjust the temperature to be whatever I needed. And with various tips, I was able to focus the heat and the hot air and into very precise locations. It's great for removing BNC connectors and connectors that have wider spacings um, and, and such. So um, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I don't know about you, but my my embossing gun will get hot enough to uh, clear a computer PC, a computer, uh, you know, one of those computer plug-in type boards. Uh, if I want to harvest the components out of it, it does it, it does a fine job melting the solder and the components fall off. So I don't know. Maybe you have a different gun than I do. It's a mine is a Marvy. Okay. Um, you can check different sources that we have listed down at the bottom. Um, everybody. For uh, Cash Olson has a good heat plate, um, a hot plate, a good uh, embossing gun. That's the one that I use from him. And, of course, a source of the solder uh, solder beads, uh, the solder paste. Um, a technique that, uh, or a condition that you want to watch out for when soldering surface mount R's and C's is uh, a, something that's called tombstoning. If you generally want to put a... A surface mount part down and you hold it down and you um, you solder one side and then you go back and you go to solder the other side if this if the part were not flat to begin with it's kind of sticking up in the air a little bit and it's hard to see if you're looking straight down on it so you might not really have it soldered when you think you do have it soldered and it's just a careful or a good uh, a good technique to follow is to look carefully after all your solder connections of course and just make sure that everything is indeed soldered, especially the leads of the ICs. If it turns out that your IC lead or one side of it or just one or two leads are kind of up in the air a little bit, you might have wicked off the solder that attached it to the to the to the pad, and you wouldn't notice that unless you looked carefully. I've got a, a microscope on my lab bench. You see that in my super neat lab bench photo. Um, and it's a it's a pretty handy thing to have. And if you don't have a microscope, you can probably uh, Joe turned me onto this a little bit ago. You could use a webcam or a, D, a DVR with a zoom lens, and either look at it in the DVR uh, or the VCR uh, camera display, or pump it over to a TV too. But it really provides you a good upfront uh, view of things. So, um, and I wanted for the uh, for the podcast listeners, I wanted to make a correction. Uh, Joe pointed out when I was talking about the size of the SMT devices, I was mistakenly thinking it was metric, and it's not. The 1206 parts, of course, are 0.12 inches by 0.06 inches, 1206. The 0805 is 08 inches by 0.5 inches, probably 0.05 inches. And um, likewise, 0604 is... Uh, 06 inches by 04 inches. So those are the size. They're pretty darn small, no matter how you cut it. So you want to use your tweezers. You want to have good eyes um, or good magnification. And uh, steady hand. Lay off the caffeine if you want to do some surface mount techniques. And don't attempt it when you're tired because you tend to be a little bit sloppier then. Joe, we're at the, uh, toward the end, we're actually past the, uh, the hour length and we probably want to wrap it up. We skipped over some sections and Maybe you want to fill in some holes and and lead us toward the end. Yes, uh, yeah, you you touched on many of the things that uh, uh, we kind of skipped over. It's very important to have a good light. 
um, if you can't see what you're doing, you can't do a good job. And as we age and we all, hopefully we all do age, our eyesight becomes um, less distinct, so we need brighter lights to see things. Some sort of magnifier, magnifying visor is excellent to uh, to uh, <laughs> help us along the way to, to uh, look for any problems on the boards. And I, I want to add one thing to the, uh, the web camera, the VCR camera. Um, I was working with a contract manufacturer who was building some stuff for a company I worked for. And uh, in addition to um, the magnifiers, and uh, they really did not use a, a webcam, but one of the things they did was to take a very good uh, macro high resolution picture of um, some of the boards. Uh, these were all surface mount boards in areas where there had been problems. And um, they zoomed that, that picture up. They put a print picture um, actually in the box sometimes with the, uh, um, the boards they were shipping to show the customer that indeed uh, the, the quality was where it should be and the joints were very good. You can, uh, you can do that uh, real time, you know, zoom on the camera. Uh, and a still camera works just as well as a VCR camera. Or uh, you can actually take a picture and uh, look at it uh, at your leisure. Um, uh, let's see, one of the other things I wanted to mention, yeah, inspection. And George did go over this. Um, check for shorts, lifted leads, tombstoned uh, components. Um, and, and actually, um, two things that uh, George did not mention that uh, are kind of good is when you have plated through holes on boards, there are times when uh, the plated through hole does not make contact top and bottom. I had a uh, transceiver the one time that uh, uh, really looked looked good, looked like everything was built very, very well, but the crystal um, crystal filter in there didn't work. It was a crystal lattice filter. And um, as it turned out, I soldered the, the uh, traces on the bottom of the board, but the plated through holes didn't take the connection through to the, um, the contact, the um, pads on the top of the board. So it was only soldered on the one side and there were traces that went between sections of the filter on top of the board. So that took some very careful ohming. Uh, just the 062 thickness of the board uh, was an open circuit there. The plated through hole didn't make contact. Uh, that can drive you nuts. And on uh, um, particularly fine pitch boards, we have a lot of fine traces. It's a very, very good idea to give them a good visual inspection to look for any um, whiskers, imperfections, uh, voids in the copper or um, hairline shorts that may have uh, happened uh, between traces that uh, can also drive you nuts. Other than that, um, a pretty good overview here. We've, we've tried to cover the high points. Uh, I would highly recommend, as George mentioned, that you check out some of the, the references in the back. Um, there's some YouTube videos in some of the um, some of those references, uh, I highly recommend the Lady Ada uh, SMT tutorials listed in our references and the KD1JV SMT soldering uh, videos. Um, it's one thing to to tell somebody how to do something and even give them detailed directions, 
but it's another thing to actually see the operation taking place. And uh, sometimes you get an aha factor that pops in and you say, ah, that's what they were talking about. So um, those YouTube videos are very invaluable for doing that. Hope you all enjoyed this. Um, I think we'll uh, break for a short round of questions and then, uh, then we'll wrap this up. Any questions on anything we've covered tonight? Yeah, I just, uh, can I take a couple minutes, make a couple comments? Uh, sorry about that. I've been in and out a um, good part of the conference because for some reason I cannot get to njqrp.org on any computer. And um, anyway, I won't go into that. Um, I also have the uh, Xtronics. It works extremely well. I've used, I started with the WTCPN Weller as well, and it kind of went bad. But the uh, Xtronics works really good. I've also got a little wall ISO tip, battery operated, and a wall ISO tip uh, AC powered iron that are very, very, very fine tips, and they work really good. Uh, regarding the embossing tool, I just used one, used mine last night to uh, lift a SI-570 off of a board that uh, appeared to be dead, and it, it worked really good, but you have to be very careful because unlike the, um, the Xtronic, you cannot really control the uh, amount of air, so you tend to blow parts off of the board as you're heating it up, so with the embossing tool, you've got to be very careful. Um, I've done a lot with, or I've done some with uh, solder paste, and um, if you've got a small board that uses a lot of surface mount and you, you have a stencil, um, you can use the paste and the stencil, and then I've used the uh, skillet quite a bit, and that works really nice, but you got to avoid hot spots in the skillet. you got to kind of check your skillet out ahead of time, because almost invariably they'll have hot spots in them. Uh, one of the things I've done some is I've used, uh, and I don't know if this was covered while I was rebooting my router, but um, I've used a Kester flux pen, uh, number 2331-ZX. It's a real nice flux, plant, flux pen, and what I've been able to do on some boards, uh, some, some uh, pre-plated boards, is actually put a little bit of this flux on the board and then put a little bit on a blank PC board and, and move the IC around on that, just get some on the pins, and then heat it with the heat gun, either the embossing tool or the uh, Xtronic. And there's quite often enough um, solder uh, to solder the IC down without even having to use any uh, external solder. So um, I think in a real short amount of time, that's a few of the, few of the things I've done. Um, the embossing tool I, use, I love to use for like a two-minute job because you pick it up, you, it's just like using a battery-operated soldering iron. You pick it up, you turn it on, within about 15 seconds, the part is hot enough to pull off the board and you turn it off and put it away. So I think that's all I had. All right, sounds good. Terry, thanks a lot for your contributions there this evening. It, uh, it is very helpful. And um, I'll, I'll catch up with you about why you might not be able to get to the website. It, we do have a lot of information on, on there, and using it as a whiteboard is very helpful for uh, attendees during the show here. Appreciate uh, everybody's contribution here tonight, and thanks an awful lot for stopping by once again. We ran a little bit over time, but we had some good discussion. I learned a couple of things here myself this evening. I hope you did. If... Um, you find some information that you'd like to have added to the compendium of of uh, info on our web pages. 
uh, for our chat with the designers, please uh, mention that. If there's another topic that you feel is useful or would be uh, beneficial to have out in the open and have an hour's chat about some Tuesday evening, please bring it to Joe's t attention or my attention. We'll be looking, we would be glad to weave it into to things here. So um, again, we're uh, going to wrap things up here for this evening. Don't know just yet what next week's topic is going to be, but uh, I think I can guarantee that it's going to be interesting and uh, informative at the same time. Thank you all for attending. We'll see you next week. Uh, chat with the designers here on TeamSpeak 3 uh, at the same time of 8 o'clock local Eastern Daylight Time or 00000000000 Zulu. And uh, uh, when you do check in, just move down here to the QRP Homebrewing channel on TeamSpeak 3 and you'll find us here at that uh, 8 o'clock hour. 73 all, this is N2APB and N2CXA and good night all. Please tune in next week for the next session of Chat with the Designers. Thank you.